I'll ask anybody's questions but yours, if you're an idiot. My wife can score more than two buckets on 11 shots because I know my wife will at least shot fake one time. I want they bury me upside down and my critics can kiss my Welcome on in to another episode of Made for March. Tyler Rocky and Tim Leonard, part of the Underdogs Podcast Network. Tim, it's the theme of 2020, and usually as we enter this month of September now, we're, we're used to talking about training camps and getting ready for the season and schools back in session and all yeah. that stuff, but... Unfortunately, today we, we have to take some, some time to dedicate to two absolute legends yep. in the college basketball community, Lute Olson and John Thompson, uh, both guys who have passed over the past week, and, and we, we have to, to hit on that. And then later on the show, we're going to get into some early championship odds from Bovada Sportsbook as well, but... I think we start, uh, we can go chronologically here, but Lute Olsen and John Thompson, two of the absolute giants of college basketball, helped bring the sport to where it is right now. Obviously, John Thompson and helping to construct the Big East, and you look at Lute Olsen, and, and he was a guy who made the Pac-12 super relevant along with UCLA, and, and he, he's the last Pac-12 champion that, that the conference has seen with, with that Arizona team in 1997. But Lute Olson, we can start with him. This is a guy who, when you saw the social media posts start to come out over the past week, it was this guy, and I think it applies for both of these guys, but men of the people. These were guys yeah. that were more than basketball coaches. Yeah, two absolute legends. And honestly, I mean, this is 2020 in a nutshell, sadly. it, it Like you said, it's just a couple more sad things it feels like that we really didn't want to have to deal with and and obviously you really just feel for the families involved with these coaches and all the players that they touched and and the people that were around them closely but even for us as just college basketball fans it stings because it feels like these two were part of such an era of coaches that is now I mean if we want to just sort of be blunt about it that these guys are getting older and it's it's sad that that's the case I mean it makes us feel old as fans in a way but yeah I mean Lute Olson, we can start with him and I don't know for me what he represented was just consistency at Arizona and in terms of the product that he put out like that stat I think it got up to 23 straight NCAA yep. tournament appearances for Lute Olson at Arizona and let's keep in mind, when you go back, and I did some research on him after hearing the news, I think he was 85 years old, by the way, when he passed away. John Thompson was 78, so kind of shows you that we are getting up there in age a little bit for these guys, sadly. But when I did the research and went back, Arizona was not a good basketball program before he got there. I mean, Arizona, the year before Lute Olson gets to the staff, won four games the entire season and won one game in what was then the Pac-10, now is, of course, the Pac-12, but one conference game, four total games, when he came over from Iowa. Kind of a shocking decision at the time, you would think, to leave Iowa after building up that program and go to a program that was basically in the basement of the Pac-12. But, man, did he change the way that we view Arizona basketball. I mean, he took Iowa to their last Final Four, and that was all the way back in 1980, and then he built up that Arizona program that has really 
had some sustainable success ever yeah. since then. I mean, you look at some of the teams that he's coached and then the way that Sean Miller has come in as well lately and kept that program extremely relevant, not just in the Pac-12, but in the entire country. But the the endearing post that came out on social and just the way that he interacted with people, I saw something in one of the local Arizona papers, I think out of Tucson it was, but you look at all these different posts, and it's not just from the players, because of course the players are going to have these pictures and stuff with them, but every single, it felt like Arizona fan that was yeah. tweeting or posting about this had a picture with Lute Olson, and he was just that kind of people, not just to his players, but to his fans, and, and to the entire Arizona Wildcat community as well. And you look at what he did there. And then there were some stories about how he would respond to pretty much every single letter that he would receive in the mail. And just the interaction that he had with beyond just his athletes on the floor, but the fans off the floor or making sure that his players were were set up beyond basketball. It's powerful to see stuff like that. And just when you see guys like that who extend their coaching and their personality beyond basketball, those are the guys that go down in history the right way. Yeah. I mean, Arizona was extremely likable during his tenure there and his long and successful tenure. It's very hard to be very successful and consistently successful for a very long period of time and stay nationally likable and nationally sort of have that underdog feel to you despite being consistently great. Like all those Arizona teams, if you were a casual college basketball fan, you rooted for them and you would never hear any Arizona fan say anything bad about Lute Olson. Cause of course, why wouldn't they? But I mean, it sounds so simple. There are instances now where a team gets very successful and they get a lot of national hate or because of a you know victim of circumstance teams will fall into or the fan base of those teams will fall into higher expectations everyone just loved Lute Olson and everyone always was very very optimistic about him being the coach there maybe at the very end that that changed a little bit but in general all his teams were super likable and I think that's honestly kind of underrated to stay likable from a national lens for that long and stay relevant because as we like to joke about on this podcast a lot, West coast basketball just is dealing with some additional variables to, you know, be in the national spotlight every single year. It's tough to, to get an East coaster to care about Arizona because their games are on way later than every other game that they could have on the East coast. So, I think you bring up the the good point of likability too, because obviously Lute, man of the people, but think about some of the players that he helped produce, especially the ones of late as well. Some of the most likable personalities too. I mean, you think of guys, Steve Kerr, he was awesome on TV and now he's awesome as the head coach of the Golden State Warriors. But part of the reason why he's awesome is because of the fact that seems like everyone loves him. Like, I remember I was devastated when I heard he was leaving TNT because of the fact that he was so good on those broadcasts. And you kind of felt like that was almost an extension of a guy like Lute Olsen. And and on top of that, too, I mean, Richard Jefferson is phenomenal and and is an awesome guy to watch. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Channing Frye. I mean, all these guys are super likable guys. And you got to imagine that's some sort of extension of Lute because 
that that's the guy who I mean you see all these guys come out of college and they say he helped shape me into the man I am today and Jason Terry another guy I mean the, the the list goes on and on of just likable personalities that have come out of the Arizona program and I think that's a real testament to the person that Lute Olson kind of groomed these humans into being yeah I mean legacy is a very tricky word to define right like it's always talked about this way when sadly people pass like this and obviously Lute Olson has a legacy but I think what really is the best form of legacy or the best form of a way someone can be remembered is by being attached to the team in this case the university and really just Tucson in general he's he's synonymous with that area and kind of like how Jim Beheim is with Syracuse or it's just a little different though with Lute Olson because it's not like Roy Williams at UNC because UNC was always good and Roy Williams I guess was there as an assistant to help them get good Dean Smith would be more attached to the area though Lute Olson transformed Arizona from not being that much of a power to being a power so he is just synonymous with that entire area and I think that's what John Thompson did a little bit both these guys that we're talking about here and sadly passed away this week, their legacy is more than just what they had on the basketball court and what their teams did. They are synonymous with the area of the schools that they coach for. And then they also, you can clearly tell, had a very, very lasting legacy on the players that they coached. And it's such a cliche, but coaching is more than just X's and O's. And coaching really at the level that they're coaching at in college and educational level it's about molding young men which i know is like a a term that people scoff at a lot but that is what their job is and that's what lute olson john thompson all these great coaches take a lot of satisfaction in is that they were able to make a freshman into a better person by the time he graduates as a junior or senior goes on to the nba now or whatever the case may be and i think that definitely holds true for both these guys today because you can just see the outpour from the players on how much on Twitter and everything. And that that is one of the cool things about Twitter. Not a lot of cool things, unfortunately, especially in, in this time period. But it's cool to see AI shout out John Thompson on Twitter right. and yeah. that type of stuff come out. So, yeah, getting more into John Thompson now uh, – the AI stuff was unbelievable because, it, yes, there's the social post, but obviously that was one of the larger themes of his entire Hall of Fame speech as well, that being AI's Hall of Fame speech. But this was a guy who wanted to enable people and enable them to to be their best self. And you look at how John Thompson kind of gave Allen Iverson his chance. And I, I've seen the story now. His, his mother begged Big John to, to take him into the program. And he took a chance on AI. Remember, th- this is a kid who had a bit of a history in, in high school, and not a lot of programs wanted to touch him because of that. But John Thompson, he took a chance on him, and it paid off big time for him because of the fact that AI kind of got his act together. And, and a lot of that had to do with John Thompson. Yeah, I, I mean, all these coaches that were talk all these coaches in this era, I think will be remembered more for that than what they did on the court. John Thompson, to me, 
And I know Jim Beheim was on the Dan Patrick show this week, and obviously we have some. I saw Greeny. Greeny did his new show, and he was just running through college basketball coaches all two hours of it. It was oh, like that's Beheim, cool. yeah. Roy Williams. I think uh, Bill Self may have been on there too. It was he was just running through the ringer of of all these college basketball coaches. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's sad circumstances to get those coaches on the show, but I think it's so cool that all Calhoun those coaches... Too. Jim Calhoun was another yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And that, they're all in that time period for me, grouped together. And it's so cool that all those coaches were just so quick to jump on and talk to the media and talk on radio shows and TV shows about these guys. Because that, that really... I mean, once you're at that status amongst your peers... That says a lot about your legend status. But John Thompson, what Jim Beheim said on the Dan Patrick show really stood out to me, and I think he put it well when he said that John Thompson is one of the only coaches that he's ever known that you went to the game to see the coach. Right. And the coach was a brand. He was unique in that way that he was the main thing about that team. And maybe that's more possible at a college level but I don't know if anyone has really reached that status since Sean Thompson. I mean, you see what the TNT broadcasters did the other night in tribute to him where they have the towels on his uh, on the shoulder on the shul- yeah. of all those guys. None and- of those guys played against John Thompson, or played for John Thompson. They, they played against John Thompson, but none of those guys played for him, too. Yeah, but which what a cool shows thing. You the power. Yeah. yeah, what a what a cool like the towel on the shoulder. I was joking. I played tennis this morning with my friends, and I was like, I need to like get my towel, just keep it on my shoulder, like John Thompson, because I was sweating so much. Like that, that's just kind of a cool legacy to have, and that speaks to being more than just a great basketball coach, X's and O's wise. That speaks to being kind of an institution or a brand for the university to kind of cling to forever. And I think. Both these guys will be, but John Thompson especially was, as Beheim said, you went to the game to see John Thompson, and it's really, really rare that you get that in a college basketball coach. Yeah, he was the show. I mean, you you remember the the moments like the the Louis Carnesecca with, with the sweater and stuff like that, where Louis had this sweater and it, it's brought him luck, and he's attributing the the sweater to all this luck. So what does Big John do? He gets that same sweater and puts it under his jacket and opens it up and and reveals it to the crowd before the game, and and that's the show. That was the show that what the Big East was, and John Thompson uh, very instrumental in, in creating that culture, and you just. I don't know about you, Tim, but last night for me was a requiem for the Big East night. Yeah, you um, told me that. I, I, th- those those pop up. There, there's certain moments in time where it's like, okay, yep, this is a, a requiem for the Big East night. The, so I think, like, obviously there's the first time you watch it, and then I watched it again when Nova won their first title uh, of yeah. the, the two that they've won recently. And then there's one other moment that I can't quite remember. Oh, uh, it was when UConn rejoined the Big East, so that not oh, too long yeah. ago. And then last night was was yet another requiem for the Big East night. But it's just amazing how powerful and instrumental he was in creating that. And he was not afraid to stand up to anyone. He was not afraid of anyone in general. I, my favorite John Thompson story is when Alonzo Mourning was playing for Georgetown. And... He was starting to get in, not cahoots, but like he was hanging out with one of the the top drug lords in in the entire D.C. area. And and that was something that kind of happened with these Georgetown players and and the the drug kingpins is they would kind of hang in the same areas, not necessarily together, but in the same areas. And 
John Thompson, he, he didn't tell Alonzo to stop hanging out with this guy. He brought the drug lord in himself, told them, <laughs> if you don't stop hanging around my players, there will be consequences. And he was never seen around the Georgetown Hoya program again. And, and just that kind of guy, the intimidation factor. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's six foot ten. I don't have the record books in front of me, but I'd imagine that's probably a record there. for yeah. the tallest coach of all time. I mean... That that right there just shows you that how much of a player's coach he was. He he did everything for his players. And you think about the numerous incidents where there were, I mean, racially, and again, it speaks volumes even more so now than maybe it did in the 80s, but he would take his players off the floor if there were racist, racist signs in the stands targeted at Patrick Ewing or if there was other stuff that was insensitive to the color of the skin of his players he would make sure to take his guys off the floor and he was a real pioneer in that regard and I think that's one of those things where when we're writing his obituary in 2020 it's going to look a lot more fondly upon him and in the moment it may not have seemed as big of a deal but it really should be absolutely talk about you have to be such a presence to a you know, bring in the drug kingpin and and stare him in the face and and say some not so nice things to him or say some things that he didn't want to be hearing. You have to be confident in yourself to do all that. And and he definitely was. But you talk about the Big East and watching back that 30 for 30, which is a great one. We obviously, I mean, the Big East was college basketball at its finest in that heyday. And and we obviously miss that a ton. It, it, It does feel good to see UConn back there and and maybe I mean the Big East is still a good conference but it will never be Madison Square Garden Big East tournament 11 teams in the NCAA Monday tournament nights, yeah yeah just a different feel and, and maybe that is just longing for for the past a little bit and the nostalgic feelings that it comes with but anyway the Big East who knows what it is without John Thompson who knows if it, I mean, it probably doesn't. I think we can say get to that status that we no. all loved it to be because he set the standard for those other great coaches that came through the ranks, whether it is Jim Beheim, Raleigh Massimino at Villanova, even a Gary Williams at BC for a little bit. All these great coaches were tied to the Big East, but would they have been great coaches if the standard wasn't set so high by John Thompson? I mean, I guess you'd like to think yes, but Thompson put the Big East kind of on the map at Georgetown, and then every year the standard was set so high at Georgetown that it was, you've got to get your guys in shape, got to get your guys in order, or else you're going to lose to Georgetown. And he set that standard, and also, I mean, recruited some really, really great players and it seemed like for a while there it was just known that if Georgetown gave you that offer it was like Calipari coming in with a bag in in modern times or something I don't know if money was involved back then but my point is Georgetown was that school that everyone was like oh man you got you got the Georgetown offer that's really cool and it's a shame that Georgetown is has faltered a little bit lately and they don't have those same rivalries that they did amongst the Big East teams, most notably with Syracuse. But, I mean, that conference that we all loved, and if you're listening to the show, I'm sure as a college basketball fan, you 
think back very, very fondly on the Big East times, and maybe you still, I still enjoyed the Big East a great deal, but the reason why that conference got to that status is in large part due to John Thompson. And and think about this too, just how iconic the brand became. I mean, we've kind of talked about this. So the the starter jacket, the the Georgetown starter jacket, that's that's a piece of history that's in the Smithsonian because of how iconic wow. it is. And, yeah. and and you look at the um, the way that John Thompson kind of enabled the the shoe companies and stuff like that. Like, hey, Nike's going to come in and, and they're going to pay us. For the gear now we used to have to pay them but now they got to pay us for for us to wear their gear and uh, one of the most powerful moments i think of that 30 for 30 and just how cool the brand of georgetown basketball was is you got a guy ed pinkney who played at villanova and i think at the time was playing at villanova and nike came out with the the collection of dunks the the high top dunks and Everyone and Patrick Ewing was wearing them, and they were the shoe. Like they were the Jordans before Jordan, and yeah. everyone needed a pair of these dunks. And Nike has since gone out and and re-released some of these lately, but uh, it was just these high top dunks, and and it said Hoyas on the back. And Ed Pinkney says, "Hey man, I I played at Villanova, but I had a pair of these because I needed to have a pair of these." And they just he made Georgetown cool. And yeah. there's very few coaches. There's coaches that have success, and then there are coaches that have success while also enabling the brand. And that is the rare combination that John Thompson had that even across the country now when you're looking at all these powerhouse coaches, there's very few that have that distinction on their resume. I will I will say, and I think this, is, this goes for Lute Olsen too, the more we talk about this, they were kind of trailblazers in a sense because, yes, like you said, Nowadays, there is a big attachment to the brand. There is more of a player-coach mindset, I'd say, from the modern coaches. John Calipari's goal, he has outwardly stated, is to get more first-round picks, maybe even more so than winning a national title. And there's just more of a, if you come to this school, the appealing point now is we will groom you to be in the NBA, we will make you look cool, we will give you these cool shoes, and and that's definitely more of a thing now. But back in the day, I mean, yes, John Thompson was old school in in a sense coaching, but he was kind of one of the first player coaches. And I think Lute Olson as well, two great examples of player coaches in a time period where, you know, you had Bobby Knights and other coaches like that, that maybe it was, it was a little bit different to be thinking about the players. I mean, I'm not saying that, one way is better than the other. And, you know, you can get into a lot of different conversations on this topic now of whether Tom Izzo or Jim Beheim or whoever should be yelling at a player or however you want to dissect this conversation. You can go many different ways. But in that time period, John Thompson, Lute Olson, they were kind of trailblazers because that's where college basketball has definitely shifted. It is now more player-coach mindset. But those guys, I think, were it was kind of rare back then, and especially when they first got going, to to be more inclined to promote the brand or or master, like you said, that ability to be very, very successful, old school in the sense that you have to work hard and you have the great principles that you will never back away from. But also, it's fun, it's hip, it's cool to play at our schools, and that attracted a lot of those big-name recruits. 
Right, exactly. And, and I mean, just on top of that, too, with, with John Thompson, he had 77 players reach their senior year at Georgetown and, and complete their senior year. 75 of those guys ended up getting their degrees. And that's another one of those things. Like you, you hear graduation rate, and it's something that they like to tout all the time, but this is a guy who was actually about it. He wanted his players, especially those that, that got their four-year uh, scholarships at, at Georgetown to complete th- those degrees. And, and when you've got a mark that high, I mean, that's something that you're not just setting them up for basketball, you're setting them up for life after basketball. And, and he, he's just been such a role model. And you hear uh, the AIs and, and the countless other players. And Grant Hill, he he was very, very good talking about John Thompson on the, yeah. the TNT broadcast the other day. Um just discussing how much he meant to him and, and his family. He didn't even play at Georgetown. I know. <laughs> he, he played at Duke. Yeah. And, and he, he's glowing with, with these remarks for, for John Thompson. So just shows you the power of the brand and, and how much these players, even the ones that didn't necessarily play for him, he still touched their lives because yeah. of the way that he conducted himself as a person and the way that he he cared about other humans, especially in the basketball world. And the last thing I'll say on John Thompson is it, we do have to acknowledge that he was one of the first great African-American coaches at the college basketball level and really in college athletics and was kind of a pioneer in that regard. And I'm yeah, sure was, he was a, the first black coach to, to win a national championship. Yeah, it was a huge, huge inspiration for other coaches who are African-Americans coming up saying, wow, maybe maybe I can do this and, and sort of defy some odds and get to the top and, and win at that highest of highest of levels. So I think that's worth noting in his legacy as well as, as another thing that maybe in his obituary and, and as time passes, it'll look even better and better because he was a trailblazer in that regard as well. All right, so that's the, the tough weekend in college basketball. And, and to see two legends like Lute Olsen and, and John Thompson pass away, I mean, two guys who players loved, the, the basketball community loved, and, and they're definitely going to be missed moving forward. And, and just the way that they had just tutored and, and mentored a lot of these guys to become the great players, coaches, men that they, that they ended up becoming, it's a, a huge blow to the college basketball community. All right, so on to, as we look into some 2021 stuff here, because it's seeming more and more likely like we are getting this tournament. Yeah, good week we in talked that about this. Yeah, we talked about this last week, but the, the NCAA filing for trademarks for Battle in the Bubble and just a, a lot of bubble-related stuff, it seems like there's going to be preseason tournaments in some capacity. You're going to be getting... An NCAA tournament, it's seeming less and less likely like that's going to get axed. So that's very, very good news for college basketball fans. But we start with this. And and when we get to September, that's when I like to pull up Bavada And oh, yeah. it's look that at time. some of the <laughs> early 2021 tournament odds. And when I look at them, I, I'm a little confused at the top. There, I got a bone to pick shuffling here. That, yeah, you've got. I know you and I have got some qualms with, with the top, and and there are some sleepers. So, so what do you see when 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 you're looking through these numbers? So I agree with you. It is kind of that time now where Bavada is more of a thing, and and you're starting to look at these odds because 
you know, th- I look at it, I was just doing my fantasy football research this week, and I kind of put it off, put it off, because I wasn't sure if there was going to be a season. And now, I mean, I feel good pulling up these title odds, because as you said, it's looking more optimistic that we are going to get an NCAA tournament next year, because of a lot of different reasons, as we touched on on last podcast. And I think we're going to start the season... I don't know what the Pac-12 is going to do, but I think non-conference-wise, it's going to start up here in the 2020 portion of the schedule. And I know they've highlighted November 25th and December 4th as potential dates. I do think it makes the most sense to start during that Thanksgiving golden window, as John Rothstein is putting it, where players or students, I should say, are, are off campus during that time for a lot of schools. So anyway, to the to the odds here where I think... If a listener has not seen these odds of Pavada, they will be shocked to hear which team is number one. How surprised were you when you saw, I guess, two teams are tied for number one, but one of the two teams, plus 800, the best odds to win the national title in 2021 is Iowa at plus 800, leading the way. I was pretty much floored when I saw that, and that's no disrespect to Iowa. I think they're going to be a good team, but... The way that Bovada usually works, and really all these sports books, is you'd think that you'd put more of the brand names at the top. So maybe that says more about Iowa than it should, but I, I was shocked when I saw Iowa at plus 800. I, I really just don't don't see them winning it, and perhaps I have to get it through my mind that this is going, you know, you can't think too much about the legacy of the program but like the legacy of the program does matter, and for Iowa to win it all would be a complete anomaly for their program from what we've seen in the past 20, 30 years, really, since Lou Dolson left. Right, so Bavada's got them co-leaders with Villanova 8-1, to one. and listen, if you want to make Iowa the favorite, I'm not putting them 8-1. to one. No. I, I'm, I'm Iowa, and I think that, that really should be how the the odds look for this season they should be like the, the favorite should be like 12 to 1 like I, i'm trying to remember last, like the duke team from a couple years ago i think after the first week of play they were down to like what were they like two or three to one which yeah, is absurd three to one i think to think about yeah. it and obviously they don't go on to win the title but last year I, I don't remember and maybe i'm completely off on this but i don't remember teams having odds better than 10 to 1 to open the season and I don't even know if I was the best team in the Big Ten, to be honest. No. Sure, they're bringing back a huge piece in, in Luca Garza, but, I mean, Illinois is bringing back two huge pieces in Kofi Coburn and Io DeSumo. So I, I don't like – and I, I'd say the same for, for Villanova. I wouldn't put them at 8-1. to one. Am I cool with them being a co-favorite to maybe start this thing? Sure, but 8-1 yeah, to one are makes not the odds sense. that I'm looking for. Yeah, I mean, Villanova has gotten it done more recently, and – I guess you can make yeah, the Iowa case hasn't that... been past the, the Sweet 16, I think, since 1999. So Holy t- take that and just let that uh, settle in for a little bit. I, I just can't imagine. Let's put it this way. Can you imagine one of your friends who is frequently on Bovada betting there and frequently looking into college bat like a casual college basketball fan. Can you imagine if one of your friends or our friends texted you and was like just bet iowa plus 800 like what a steal 
<laughs> like I just I don't see no. any and I've way. I've got friends that that went to Iowa, and, and I don't think they'd be laying the the eight to one there. I think they'd be looking for something a little more enticing than that. Yeah, that that's the part that confuses me. I mean, these top teams, it's sort of weird to look at, and I think it says a lot about the state of college basketball. You've got Iowa Villanova, like you said, eight to one, leading the pack. Gonzaga's eleven to one. They're not even a power conference team technically. Kentucky, that's more of a blue blood. Okay, you expect that. They're also 11-1, to 1, so those teams are tied in second, Zaga and Kentucky. And then you go back to some different teams. Baylor is 12-1. to 1. Yes, Baylor was number one last year, but another team that has not really proven it a ton, legacy-wise, resume-wise, program-wise, in the NCAA tournament, They've had some good runs, but a good run for them is usually a lead eight. This is kind of uncharted territory for them. And it's a shame that a program like that didn't get a chance to actually capitalize maybe on last year. And, you know, that really could have done wonders for a program like Baylor if they won it last year. And then Illinois is also tied with Baylor at 12 to 1. Another great team in the Big Ten that has a pretty good basketball pedigree. But they are not a blue blood, and honestly, what have they not been a lot known of recent for? Success, yeah, yeah. In the past 10, 15 years since Darren Williams, Illinois has been known for kind of not achieving expectations or not living up to the NCAA tournament potential that they maybe should be as a program, and going in and out of coaches. So it says a lot about how this season's going to shape up. I think it's going to be a lot like last year. And I think college basketball in the future is just going to be a lot more parity because of the nature of these guys jumping from the from high school to the G League, the one and done. A program like Illinois now has more of a shot if they get three or four guys that can stay into their upperclassmen years and they find some sort of targets that are, you know, diamonds in the rough, I guess, in the upper 2000, 200s, I should say, in the 24-7 sports and the ESPN rankings in their class, because then they might not have the NBA aspirations and they're going to win a national title more. So I think we're going to see this trend continue. But, I mean, even UNC is plus 2,500. Uh, where's Duke? Plus 1,600, that makes sense, I guess. Kansas, plus 2,000. But these blue bloods are not at the top like we would normally see. So before we get out of here, let's just hit on a couple of the longer shots. And again, only 30 of the over 350 teams are listed here. But when you look at some of these long shot type of teams, and again, long shot in comparison to the the 30 that are on here. So again, we don't know exactly what the NCAA tournament format's going to look like. So maybe that's something that you got to keep in mind. Maybe you're looking at teams that have to win their conference. Or maybe you're looking at teams that have to finish in like the top three of their conference or something like yeah. that um and again who knows maybe maybe that some bets will get canceled or whatever but if they if the format changes but when you're looking at long shots here i see a couple that stand out to me but what stands out to you in terms of long shot teams that really could make some noise well you know i always love oregon they have given me a lot of gambling success in the past in the NCAA tournament and really the the Pac-12 tournament is where I, I usually profit off my ducks. And, of course, no more Peyton Pritchard is sad because he, he has been the guy that I've I've relied on for the, the late game heroics from them. But 
I think they've they've established themselves as a team that, yes, is West Coast, yes, does not maybe ever get in the same conversation as some of the top-tier programs, but they traditionally, and when you look into the numbers more, they traditionally overachieve in March and overachieve in postseason play. So they have proven it. I mean, they've gotten to Final Fours recently, and they're at plus 3,000 right now. So I don't, I don't hit Oregon there. I, I think Purdue plus 8,000 is pretty good value. But again, I don't really see Purdue winning. But I also don't really see Iowa winning, and they're, they're plus 800. So, Right. Uh, yeah, I think UNC's got some, some solid value. I always love Florida State. They're in there at 22 to 1. But the real long shot, when I look on this board, and, and I see Florida at 40 to 1. Yeah, that's a good That one. kind of piques my interest a little bit. You're bringing back Scotty Lewis, Keontae Johnson, Mike White, your head coach, has had some success in March. So... I look at all of that stuff, and I think it could re- it could lead to a winning formula in, in what's going to be a, a strange season, but I think that's something that could could lead to some success. And, and, and then when you look at that number forty to one, too, that's that's intriguing, intriguing to me. Yeah. yeah, that's always intriguing. Yeah, I mean, I, I would just say, like, how surprised would you be if Iowa won the national title next year? Scale of one to ten, I'm probably sitting at a seven and a half. Because yeah. let's be honest, they have the best player in the sport. That's the thing. But yeah. he's also uh, like, what, what's he got around him too? I, again, I I still think Iowa is going to be a top ten team and very well could get to the final four. But do they have that championship in them? And that's one of the things that worries me because as great as Luca Garza is. We did see periods of lapse at times. I mean, there were times where I, I, I think back to a game, I think it was against Iowa State, where he fakes a handoff, turns, spins off his guy, goes to the rim, and then just gets father timed on the dunk and, and whiffs on it. <laughs> yeah. And I it's things that like one. that. And you see that and you hope that that gets ironed out by the time that you're in, in tournament mode. But he did, that he did have some moments like that. He's a double double machine, but. There's a reason that I flipped last year from being on the Luka train to being on the Obi Toppin train when we were doing our our Player of the Year watch, too. Yeah, I think what it comes down to for me is if if Bovada, once we get closer to the season, I'm sure they'll release some conference odds or conference winner odds or maybe just odds of getting to the Sweet 16 or, or some other stuff like that. I feel very confident that Iowa should be at the top of a lot of those lists, like in comparison to some of the big-name schools, I think they're they're definitely going to have a good year. They have a very, very high floor next year. Their ceiling is just, to me, way lower because they haven't proven it. But, I mean, we bet on Virginia, and they hadn't really proven it. So, I don't know. That, that worked out yeah. pretty well for us. Yeah, two years ago. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of Made for March. We'll continue to, to track these odds as we get closer and closer to the season and eventually we're going to have to start getting into some conference previews as well as our Tears of Joy, which I'm really looking forward to this year. So keep on the lookout for all of that. For Tim, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you guys next week. The game was over. 